These are fun, off-the-cuff discussions on movies and streaming series, both new and old. Together, we'll attempt to bridge the gap between Hollywood Industry Insider and the casual viewer. This is Alec. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to the Cinema A to B Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cinema A to B. Today, we're, we're going back to 1998 with a lesser-known film, I think, for the average uh, viewer. But that's okay. This is a personal favorite of, of mine. And I know, I know Alec really enjoys this film as well. This is 1998, Ronin, directed by the late John Frankenheimer and starring Crazy Cast. We'll get into it. It stars Robert De Niro, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of who's in this film. So Alec, um, I'm going to have you kick us off. So I have you to thank. I had never seen this before until we became friends. And you were like, you need to watch this movie, Ronin. And I'm going to tell you right now, we had talked a little bit about movies that were a little bit more of a mature film, not so much of like what they're talking about or, you know, what's happening in it, but more of to appreciate it. And this is, Ronin's definitely one of those. It is a slower burn, but there's a lot of great payoffs in it, in my opinion. Um, It's... A, a lot of fun in a lot of different ways, especially after multiple viewings of kind of being able to pick up some of these extra things. Um, and I liked it the first time I watched it, but I can tell you the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it, and the more I can kind of see what a gem this film is. It's not without its flaws, but it's got a lot going for it. And I can really just say like just from the beginning, it has kind of that French connection feel to it, um, which I think, I don't know if it was on purpose, but I'm pretty sure um, you know, they're, they're making some homages to French connection in this and it's just done so well. Like you talked about the acting in it. I mean, Stellan Skarsgård, our, the personal favorite actor of this podcast is in this film. I mean, how can you not like this film? I mean, Stellan, if you ever as want to the, come on as the villain or yeah. a villain, yeah, yeah, a villain, but there's so much good in this movie, but like I digress, this is, this is in, this is one of your favorite films. So you need yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, it's it's not rated that high. I think it, it's I'm I'm looking at it right now. It sits at a seven point two on IMDb. Um, it is a slower film, but the action sequences in it are tremendous. And then this is, in my opinion, this is the definitive. If I'm getting into an argument with somebody, this film contains the greatest car chases ever put on screen. Not I bullet. No, it's not. It's not bullet has better cars. That's why that's why Bullet gets rated up against it. Any other movie that gets rated up against it for best car chases is because of the the cars, not not the actual driving and camera work. This is the one. And Frankenheimer just had a gift for shooting car chases and had done uh is it like Grand Prix or something like that um earlier in his career. So this movie what's what's kind of works for this movie and then works against it is, is the director because you have a movie made in 1998 with like 1998 filmmaking techniques and stunts and gunplay, but really made for by a director whose golden era was in pretty much the sixties into like the early seventies. So it's, it's like a late sixties, early seventies spy thriller made in the late nineties. <laughs> it, it's a weird amalgamation yeah. of those two things. And so, yeah, it's like, it is, it, it's got more in common with the French connection or 
another personal favorite of mine, um, The Day of the Jackal, which I think is 1972. It was definitely and, the 70s, yeah. Yeah, and it was remade in the late 90s with Bruce Willis, just called The Jackal, and it's which is a far inferior film, but I digress. Ronan... In a lot of ways, if you watch something like the first Born Identity film with Matt Damon, not the Greengrass directed one. Doug Lyman directed Doug one. Lyman. Yeah. And that movie feels a lot like Ronan does. Even down to some of the f- like filming locations. You know, Ronan takes place entirely in France and it's all on location in Nice in Paris. It's beautiful. It's, it's this super, and, and it's not just that it's shot in Europe. It feels very European in its polish. And it's a little colder yeah. film. It's, a, and it's, it's not, it's like less compromising. My, one of my favorite things about Ronin is, is one of the few movies where like if a bad guy is going to shoot somebody, they don't go into like a big speech. <laughs> they just shoot them. Yep. Like people just shoot people in this movie. It's super believable. There's no, no one ever hesitates. Like they just, they make the decision. We're getting into it and they go. And that's kind of a standard for me in a movie like this, because otherwise it just doesn't feel. It, no, it doesn't feel believable. I'm going to stop you. So fun fact, because you brought up Born Identity and then hadn't truly thought about kind of like Born Identity is almost basically very similar to Ronan in the sense that it's, but it's different in the fact that it's made as a early 2000s, late 90s movie, you know, has that aesthetic and has that feel where this was made in the late 90s, but has that kind of 70s, 60s. And so like Ronan could have been with a different director, could have been similar to Born Identity. There's also another connection is, so the, the man in the wheelchair that they talk about, which they never, you know, never show or whatever. So yeah. he's actually pulled from the Robert Ludlum Born Identity movie. So this movie has oh, a connection to the Born Identity. That's cool. Yeah. So that's like, cool. I mean, it's kind of that, that, that same thing. So it's, it's really interesting. And by the way, there is a connection with the day of the jackal with Ronan because Michael Lonsdale that plays oh, yeah. Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre yeah that does all the the Ronan models the miniatures he's the detective that's right in day of the jackal he's LaBelle oh, I forgot so, about that and in my, I love to watch Ronan and use it as a fun I have a fun like f- film fan theory that Jean-Pierre is LaBelle hmm. an older LaBelle and just, and, and that it puts Ronan in the same universe as the Jackal. universe as day of the Jackal. I, yeah. Works. Yeah. Cause then, then they're both in, in France as well. So it does the, the commitment to authenticity is pretty high. There's a couple places where you can see the budget got stretched. There's a, there's a really bad green screen driving sequence with Robert De Niro and Jean Renault yeah. where they're going up through the mountains mm-hmm. and it's just bad compositing work. Like they, they rushed it. And then famously the big, <laughs> the big um, Mercedes Benz that the good guys drive in the first big car chase, they throw it into reverse and then do that 
that, like J turn spin or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, they put terrible, like just dreadful digital tire smoke in that sequence. <laughs> and it's just, but outside of those two things, everything else, all the other car chases are completely authentic. In fact, the way they built the, the rigs is they had Americanized cars. And so they put De Niro in what looks like the driver's side and he's got a wheel and the stunt driver beside him is actually driving and they're, and they're really driving at like 60, 70, 80 miles an hour through these, through these tunnels in Paris and around. And the fear is real. Like that's, what's so cool that you can see the stress on the face of De Niro and Natasha. Um, was it McElhone? Yeah. That plays Deidre. Like she's freaking out. Like for real, there's no <laughs> acting going on there. Cause they're, they're doing hairpin turns. They're not actually having to drive, but you can't tell that. I mean, their hands are on the wheel. It doesn't look fake though. And they are just terrorized. They're supposed to be mimicking what the stunt driver is doing to kind of give that some simulation. I think so. Um, the guy who plays Larry skip Suddeth, I think he is driving because he yes, was, he, is. he yeah. did his own driving. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, he, and the and joke he gets to drive that sweet Audi, like S eight mm-hmm. with does. nitrous in it. Yeah. The cars are not as sexy. That's, that's the thing. It's like Citrons and you do get an Audi and then you get this big Mercedes, Mercedes Benz yeah. and the heavy. So the cars are not really special, but if you can look past that, it's, it's great. Oh, but the so, way they're shot is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so Frankenheimer said to, to skip, he basically said, all right, you can drive. I just don't want to see any brake lights is essentially what was said to him. <laughs> like, well, I had read that they, they had speeds that they wanted to travel, which was like, I think 70 or 80 miles an hour. And during filming, they ended up getting closer to like a hundred or one ten. And yeah, people were <laughs> not happy. No. Well, if I'm sitting in the car and someone's driving at 100 miles an hour and I have no control. Well, like, okay. that that was that was the first car chase. Oh, Those yeah. were the stunt drivers. That wasn't that wasn't the stuff with De Niro and and Renault and stuff. But I'm just going to run down through the cast real quick to blow everybody's minds. People that have not watched this movie that have decided to listen to this episode of the podcast. Robert De Niro, mm-hmm. John Renault. Oh my goodness, the professional. You know, that's probably his best film. Mm-hmm. Natasha Malcalhoun, she plays the love interest in uh, The Truman Show, Stellan Skarsgård, Sean Bean. Who doesn't die in this film. Congratulations, no, Sean Bean. But he has a hilarious character. <laughs> he does. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Keep yeah, down. we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> Jonathan Lons. Price. Oh, yeah. Who is the big baddie mm-hmm. and does a nice job. And you talk about a character that doesn't hesitate to just freaking pull out a gun and go to town. Um, you have the, you have the Olympic gold medal figure skating champion, Katarina Vitt playing, <laughs> playing a, a, a fictitious skater. But I mean, that's, she's, she's a real skater. She doesn't last long. In it. No, but yeah. So that. it's, it's, it's just thespian after thespian after thespian. And they're not other than Sean Bean, everybody gets pretty, pretty adequate screen time. Um, Bean's character is just a pretender and, his scene with De Niro is just one of the best in the entire movie. Oh, I mean, all his scenes with De Niro, like, like all the stuff of like, when he asked him, he's like, have you ever killed anybody? And he goes, 
hurt someone's feelings once, you know, like, I mean, like the, the banter between the two of them is, is, is great. Yeah. Um, and there's some really good, like, there's a lot of great, like British V American kind of measuring contest kind of stuff with, you know, well, what kind of, what kind of gun you favor? Oh, it's a, it's a toolbox. You pick the tool. Eh, but I was always, I was partial to the 1911. Old gun. Yeah. Served my country. Well, <laughs> but you haven't done too well last few wars, huh? And he's like, yeah, but at least we don't go around whining about it. <laughs> so there is a, there is a little bit of a dig from an American director. There's a little bit of a dig to the, uh, to the yeah, Brits. It's... Um, oh, job well but done. At, the, at its core, fact. the film is very, very f- French. I mean, it it's not just the backdrop. Like it's, his, you know, De Niro's main confidant is, is Renault and he's got the lay of the city and, and it's their, their chemistry is, is a lot of fun to watch. A lot of fun to watch. I love how they build that, that, that relationship. Like obviously De Niro is well-traveled and well-versed and kind of all this stuff. And he can kind of pinpoint Sean Bean right away at being a pretender, but then can kind of see that Jean Renault is his character. Vincent is has seen some stuff, knows his things. And I love the little interplay just right at the beginning when he offers him a cigarette and he's just like, are you labor or management? And he goes, if it was management, I wouldn't offer you a cigarette. So you're right. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and it kind of just builds from there. And like, they kind of are, you know, looking out for each other, you know, through it all, even though they don't know each other before this. And so it's just, I, I really do like that, that, that how they did it. I mean, like the only person that really doesn't get a lot of, a lot of um, screen time who's in it for longer than Sean Bean is skip. Um, he's on screen, but he doesn't do a lot of talking. And I think th- they knew that he was there more for the driving and it's just the strong silent type and use him. That was the best way to use him. But, Oh, the, qu- the quips that, uh, that De Niro's given, he has like the best dialogue in the whole of movie. Course. He's like, Sean Bean's like, you worried about saving your own skin? He's like, yeah, I am. It covers my body. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he just, he, it's full of those. He's a, he's a super De Niro's characters got a real, real sharp tongue. And there's, there's a lot of quippy dialogue in it that you wouldn't think would be in a, like a spy film like this, but it's there. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. Well, I love the one when DJ's like, uh, are, are you afraid? And he goes, of course I'm afraid. You think I'm reluctant because I'm happy. <laughs> it's just like, like these, these just small moments of great dialogue that just get like, this is De Niro doing great dialogue work. Like this shows that he does have that kind of range and able to be that, that, that quippy self. Yeah. That he doesn't and get it, in a lot of this is the, now this is kind of a, this is kind of a special film to me because I, I am a big fan of Robert De Niro, but this is kind of his last gasp in an action kind of thriller Mm -hmm. i don't remember what year he did like the score but that's that's a different 2003 i think that's a different kind of film and it wasn't super actiony no this is kind of the last movie where he's he's got some still has some physicality to him to the and you know he's in his he was in his 50s when he did ronin um that this is kind of the this is kind of the last go before he transitions his career it's kind of a I don't know what to call it a landmark film, but it's, it is, it's, it's his last, you won't see him again in a role like this in his career. This is kind of it. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's yeah. good. It's just, it didn't make a bunch of money. Um, 
I really, really wanted to watch this movie in theaters, and I don't remember why oh, no. it didn't happen. My dad saw it and then was like, I think we got it. He bought it when it came out on DVD because I never, I never did see this in a cinema, unfortunately. Um, and it doesn't really matter now, but it's uh, now as far as Skarsgård, oh this is one of the earliest movies I think I've, I saw him in and I, I took him for granted then. You know, I thought he was good. I just, I didn't really know how good he really is, but his, his character Gregor's is, uh, is something else, <laughs> you know, he plays that bad guy part or just out from the money or just doesn't care really, really well. He's super convincing as ex KGB, like f- feels real authentic. Um, he's <laughs> nice reflexes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Old they die hard. hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. They die. Just, they die hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I mean, he'd done, um, I mean, he had done Goodwill Hunting before this. That's right. And Amistad. That's right. But I didn't uh, see Goodwill Hunting till later. Yeah. So I saw this so before really, I saw. Yeah. It's still really early on in his kind of American. Um, oh, I mean, he was technically in Hunt for Red October as Tupolev. That's, that's right. That, okay. So that would be the first, but I didn't. But he's, it's such a small role and he's under red light most of it. So you really don't get to kind of really see him or make that. He's connection. a much younger man too. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it was eight years earlier. So, yeah. but yeah. So like, I mean, this is the first one that he's got actually kind of any real major like screen time. I would, I would say going back, I can still see like, there's nothing in his performance that makes me think how amazing of an actor he is. Except, but going back from now, seeing him in so many other things and seeing his range and seeing him going, seeing those early tidbits of, oh yeah, I mean, this is, this is the character he's playing of like, he's not a one note actor. He's not just a one note character. Like he does, he is adding something to this. He is doing a great performance. It's just, it's hard to kind of just tell from this one, one work of how great he really is. It didn't take until seeing him and so many other things. And so now, you know, watching it again, I was able to appreciate a lot more of his scenes and a lot more of his character and kind of what he's in. Cause I'm like, well, you're also an Andor where you play an amazing character and are probably one of the best parts of that entire show, which is saying something. Now the screenplay on this is, is not amazing, but it's solid. And it is, it is actually, there are two writers, JD Zeke, but then David Mamet actually wrote, co-wrote the screenplay, but he did it under a, under a pseudonym of Richard Weiss. And David Mamet wrote stuff like Wag the Dog and see what else, House of Games, State and Maine, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, he and he's I think his background, if I'm not mistaken, is in writing for uh, the stage and then he kind of transitioned. Um, so that's where you get all that quippy dialogue. For De Niro's character, especially is from Mamet. Um, he's kind of he's kind of known for that. Uh, you would. You would be hard pressed to find that many other screenwriters that can do that kind of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, Um. um I will say I really like that we never learn what the MacGuffin is, that it yeah. can be whatever it is. But that frustrates that 
viewers are about 50 50 and not that many people have seen this movie. Yeah. I, I know folks that d- despise this movie because, because of that very reason that the MacGuffin is nothing more than, and it's like, well, that's what it a MacGuffin could, is. Like, yeah, it could be anything. It, like it if it's matter. revealed, it, it kind of, it totally loses that it's <laughs> now it's some, now it's an actual, like more thorough plot device. So I always liked con- the conjecture of what could be in that case that the IRA yeah. wants that the rush, you know, the Russians are buying from whatever this one, something the group. Russians want, something that the IRA wants that French American intelligence doesn't want them to have. So it's like, is it a list? Is it data? I don't think it was nuclear. You know, I, I'm sure it was some sort of data or, something something kind of probably lame to be honest it's way more interesting to not know what's <laughs> not, in yeah. it but it's kind of like that um you know don't you know, your mind makes it your imagination makes it worse than it actually is and the moment you try to define it, it actually kind of takes all the scariness from it because now it has something to it it's like the hitchcock kind of like showing all the violence off screen is because yeah. your mind makes it so much worse than what it actually does I do, I do love the little subtle moments that kind of lend credence to De Niro's um, character being actually being good at like CIA tradecraft, especially when him and Natasha like pretend to be like tourists. Oh, and mm-hmm. they go into the hotel and, and she's all stiff and he's like, loosen up, loosen up, sweetheart. You look good cleaned up. Yeah. And, she, and she's just like, you know, yeah. And then, and then he's like, what do they go off with the, to that random guy that he's like, and t- takes the pictures. He's, and he's like, just, will you take, will you take pictures of my wife? <laughs> you know, it's really like, let me take, this, 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 let me yeah. take one with, with, with you, with my wife, you know, you with and, my wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And she's really good in it. N- Natasha's great in them, in that role. She's, she's a really neat character. Con- very conflicted character. Kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, of the gal. And like we were talked about when we, discussed Indiana Jones and last crusade Elsa mm-hmm. like just on the wrong side you you're kind of rooting for her and just I guess there sense. is an alternate ending of Ronin where <laughs> yeah it did not test well with audiences where Sam and uh Vincent are at the coffee shop like they are in the ending and it's got like Natasha trying to go meet them mm-hmm. and like a van pulls up with IRA, <laughs> like puts a bag over her head and drives no. away. Yeah. They like, they like take her and she's gone. Oh no, yeah. That... It's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. it did not test well. It was easier for them to shoot the scene where De Niro's just like, she wouldn't be coming back. No. Yeah. In my, in my head cannon. She's off somewhere. She's, she's on. Yeah. Vacation. She made, she, yeah. She, she made her get away for sure. Yeah. Cause he, he told her, she's like, I didn't, he's like, I didn't, I didn't come for the case. Yeah. I came for Seamus. Yeah. You came for your boss. Yep. I never got out. Oh yeah. I never left. Yeah. I yeah. love that. That's it. I never left. Yeah. I never left. I mean, yeah. It's great. Again, he has all those good lines, you know, I, I mean, theorize that Vincent never left. Oh, you think he's with French intelligence? I think he is still French intelligence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah, sense. They, I mean, he has a lot of connections. I mean, granted he could have those connections, but but he and he also, I think, 
that so that kind of he always seems to be being taught by De Niro. Like maybe he's using that as a ruse to kind of bring De Niro in. Yeah. Uh, that may, that makes sense. I can see that. Like I never yeah, thought of that. I think I, he he always seemed to know more than they let on. By the way, if you if you rewatch this, this is totally random. There's a really funny money, funny money, funny, uh, <laughs> funny scene, funny moment where Larry, when Larry gets, um, does he get shot or something? It's before he, he, it's before he gets killed, but he's hurt. And like De Niro gives him a cigarette. Yeah. And does. the way he looks, the way he looks up at him is really funny. <laughs> Just like this. This really longing look of appreciation <laughs> for, <laughs> the cigar- for the cigarette. For the cigarette, yeah. Uh, one of the things I like like about this movie is again is going back to the dialogue is more of just you and I in the apartment, and whenever you completed something, and you just be like, well, "Job well done." That is a fact. That is oh a yeah, fact. yeah. Bit, bit of raspberry <laughs> jam back there. Hey, bit of raspberry <laughs> jam. <laughs> yeah, my, my my dad and I would quote Sean Bean. Yeah. Job well done. That is a fact. That is a fact. He has really good lines. And then he's like, could you pull over? Yeah. 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 Just completely yeah. pukes. Got the uh, guns, got the money. Job, well, job done. well done. I will say listeners. He did say that when we, when we were living together in apartments, um, it was, it was great. One of those many movies that got quoted <laughs> yeah. in our apartment. Yeah, this is, this is a good time. And it, you know, you call it a slow burn. I don't think the pacing's really that bad because the action sequence payoffs are so good. You have the, uh, like you said, you have a car chase near the beginning, the first third of the movie, massive car chase at the near the end. Um, pretty, pretty brutal foot chase shootout. Yeah. In uh, was it is it Roan? What's the oh, what's the yeah. city they're in? And it's it's in an old. Um, Roman era Coliseum mm-hmm. and it's real it's it's shot on location it's beautiful really believable loss of like civilian life in some of the gun battles in this where like really innocent people get get in the line of fire and it's like oh my gosh it's not a typical 90s action film where like look where the viewers real numb to like collateral damage it's like when when an innocent gets shot at or like you're like oh my gosh because during a car chase there's just a random guy caught in the crossfire that totally gets shot and like crashes into a pillar in the uh, tunnel. And you're just like horrified because just, you know, the damage that these people cause is, you know, it's a pretty brutal, fairly brutal movie. And it's, it's a fairly for violence. Anyway, it's a fairly hard R by the way, final tidbit parting tidbit is of hilarity. There's a scene where De Niro's character pops out of the top of the the car with a law rocket and fires into the back <laughs> of another car in down in front of him. And it's an amazing sequence. And the car blows and flips over on its hood and slides for hundreds of feet. Real car and a real stunt driver in set inside, and he had to push his own button to trigger the explosion and the flip. Holy cow. You talk about a guy with like cojones yeah, to do that. And he did survive, but it was insanely dangerous stunt. And I'm telling you, but the shot is incredible and it's shot from far back and it all happens in one continuous 
Like you see the law rocket shot from behind, and then the next is it blowing up and flipping in the same shot. And I think it's shot from a helicopter. That's the commitment and the action in this film. And that's why that's a perfect example of why I, I love it so much. Cause it doesn't hide stuff in the edit. It's just yeah. there in camera. Well, any final thoughts that you want to add to one of your favorites? I think it's worth a watch. I mean, I, we've, we've never treated this like a movie review, you know, podcast. And that's not what this is. This is just us kind of revisiting some, some good stuff. I really appreciate Frankenheimer. He did fall off like quality wise rapidly. Um, this, in fact, I would argue that this is like the last good movie he made. He did do before he died. He, he died in, uh, 2002 he did do a short film for bmw with clive owen called the driver Mm. where which promoted bmw's line with like action films and stuff and he that's really cool to watch if you can find that on youtube that's it's really cool in fact i was convinced when they did that i've thought for sure that clive owen was going to be the next james bond because him driving around his bmw that's getting shot up was pretty pretty cool but um, yeah, Frankenheimer kind of never lost his 60s sensibilities and just said the heck with it. And that's kind of what you get with Ronan. And so, yeah, the pacing's a little bit slower, but the end product is it's so good. fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah.